Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we are here to bring you more knowledge, more lights, and more love. Well, we have a returning guest this week. I'm very excited to announce that Craig Campobasso is here. Again, he's back, people. And we're going to have an incredible conversation. Last time, we talked about his UFO Hotspots Compendium book and also his Extraterrestrial Almanac. This time, we're really focusing on his autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga the four book series absolutely incredible we're going to talk to craig about this it's going to blow your mind but first i need you to do something for me follow me on instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth that is the address you can follow me there spotify apple podcasts google podcasts wherever you go to get your podcasts Click that button that connects us. So when people like Craig Campobasso come back on, you know exactly. You get that notification directly to wherever you get that. And of course, tell a friend, tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts that would be interested in this information. You know those people all over the world. We're in 174 countries now, if you can believe that. You know these people. Let's get more people here. Midnight on Earth dot com okay so we're almost going to talk to craig but of course we have to read his bio so here we go craig campobasa is an author casting director and award-winning filmmaker fresh out of high school california native craig campobasso found himself working behind the scenes for four years on frank herbert's dune the father and daughter producing team Dino and Rafaela De Laurentiis and director David Lynch were Craig's mentors into the business of filmmaking. After he apprenticed as a casting associate on Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories, Rafaela later hired him to be casting director for the popular Christmas movie Prancer starring Sam Elliott. Emmy nominated for casting David E. Kelly's Picket Fences, Krang has been casting for more than three decades and is an acting coach in the Los Angeles area. Craig directed, wrote, and produced the short film Stranger at the Pentagon, which was adapted from the popular UFO book authored by the late Dr. Frank E. Stranges. After production, the short film collected accolades. In September 2014, it won Best Sci-Fi Film at the Burbank International Film Festival. In 2015, it won a Remy Award at the WorldFest Houston International Film Festival for Best Sci-Fi Short. Craig has appeared on many radio shows, including Coast to Coast AM with George Norrie. He's also been a guest on the Open Minds talk show with Regina Meredith and two episodes of Beyond Belief, which is also hosted by George Norrie on the Gaia channel. Craig has also appeared on the History Channel's Ancient Aliens, where Giorgio Sukalos is one of the main ancient astronaut theorists, and he's here back with us again. Hello, Craig. 
<laughs> you know, it was so great. You got every pronunciation perfect. <laughs> perfect, perfect, perfect. Thank you. I feel like I've done this before. <laughs> you, yeah. I mean, usually if they don't screw up my name, they screw up De Laurentiis or Giorgio's last name. Well, right? I am also so, a fan of all of David Lynch's work. I just recently yeah. met Giorgio Sucolos for the first time in Portland, Oregon, just a few weeks ago. And all of these things are fresh in my mind. I love Dino uh, De Laurentiis's movies, uh, you know, Conan the Barbarian, so many. Uh, oh, so, yeah. so we're similar frequency people here. That's great. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, when we when we did Dune, we did Conan the Destroyer at the same time. We made, made both movies. I worked on oh, them interesting. simultaneously. Interesting. Yeah, we shot them uh, down at a studio's Cherubusco in Mexico City. Yes. So it was very fun because you had futuristic actors walking around and you had barbarian actors walking around. And usually if you couldn't find Grace Jones... They would go to the Dune set because they knew she'd be over there looking to see what was going on or, you know, vice versa, that kind of thing. So how much of that costume design do you feel like was channeled? Like how much of that information do you feel like is valid out in the universe? The things that were in Frank Herbert's Dune and also showed up in David Lynch's adaption. Well, I'll tell you, Bob Ringwood um, is a brilliant costume designer, and uh, he had uh, previously done Excalibur. Right. And so they, David and Raffaella really felt he was the guy for this job. And, and um, you know, it's interesting. If people are really interested in it, there's a new book out. Um, based on the making of Dune. Um, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll get it in a little bit and I'll, and I'll show you the cover. I can't remember the exact title. Uh, you know, coincidentally, but, uh, Craig, I had a making of the original Dune book from the eighties when I was younger and I remember yeah. reading it and I was so excited because at the end it was prepping people for the sequel to Dune, which unfortunately never it happened. was, which unfortunately didn't happen. But anyway, um, uh, Bob really went with a lot of uh, his own gut and, you know, had, uh, you know, it's interesting because you can really see Bob's whole perspective in this new Doom book. It's by Max Every, E-V-R-Y. Um, it's a 500 page hardcover book. It's like 26 bucks on Amazon. And he interviewed everyone behind the scenes and uh and in front of the camera those are who are left still alive and for the very first time david lynch gave a dune interview since the making of dune whoa yeah. <laughs> that's historic if you're a dune fan or a david that's lynch fan you know hugely, what that means hugely <laughs> historic so so you get, uh, I'm in the book as well, and um, you get the whole, you know, I was on it for four years. Uh, right. I was there as long as, um, well, not as long as David and Raffaella. They were there a little before me, but I came on really early on in the beginning. I mean, the first year, it was just me, David, Raffaella, and two secretaries. You know, it's one of my yeah. favorite sci-fi movies of all time. Of course, there's several versions, the 
unofficial Alan Smithy four-hour version. There's the <laughs> theatrical version, which if you miss one second of dialogue, you could get lost there because of how the production, yeah. you know, in post-production outside of David Lynch's hands, what happened. But it's still a gorgeous landmark science fiction film, even with the warts and all it's, it's a masterpiece. Well, they wanted David to do it. They wanted him to uh, re-edit the film, you know, all those years later. And he said he would, um, but he was doing a film and they said, well, we want it done now and we don't want to wait. So they went ahead and did it themselves. And David said, take my name off it. You know, they put the Alan Smithy. This is the book right here. Oh, a masterpiece in disarray. Disarray. Okay. Yeah, it's an oral history, which is great because you'll <laughs> you'll hear me talk about something, and then Sean Young will jump in, then Kyle McLaughlin will jump in, and so it's sort of like very well pieced together from everyone's perspective, from pre-production, post, and then all the way through to you know the premiere in London, which. I was lucky enough to go to. So. Wow. And, you know, interestingly in Portland, I did see Kyle McLaughlin at traffic one day. I was like, oh, yeah. I looked He's over from- and I was like, it's Maudive. Maudive. I I was- <laughs> He's from C- Kyle's from Seattle. Right. Yes. He was in the Northwest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he was uh, very famously uh, playing the mayor of Portland in the Portlandia common That's comedy series. That's right. That's right. Um, real quick, before we dive into your beautiful books, I guess I was going to save this question for the end, but it's, it's here now. I watched about 20 minutes of this new Dune remake movie. I tried to watch it. I love Dune. I love Frank Herbert. I love the series. I love the energy. I couldn't do it. This is just my personal opinion. You know, listeners out there, you may have a different opinion. My personal opinion. I tried to watch like 20 minutes of it. I couldn't do it. Like it didn't hit me. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I, I love both versions for different reasons. Like when, when we were making it, they didn't have the technology to do the blue within blue eyes. They didn't have the technology to really do a good ornithopter or any of the special effects or anything like that. Um, I liked David's version. I loved the colors. I mean, you know, yeah, you forget the whole Fremen were wiped from June in in the very first release because they had to cut the movie way down. If they were smart, they would have done it like Denis did it, right? He ended at the Fremen and will start the second movie with the Fremen. So it's so one book is two movies part one and part two that that i thought is absolutely brilliant thought that was a better Um, idea to kind of expand it versus compress it and we're not talking about the uh television miniseries of the early 2000s this is the new release of the movie the the new yeah the new release of the film and look just like just like our version his version is filled with great stars as well you know so I mean, I, I, I love, like I say, I love them both for both reasons, but a lot of people that I talk to and not people, you know, who worked on Dune is that they were more drawn to David's version of Dune, um, 
And maybe it's just because it's been out for so much longer and it's more familiar. But I loved just the colors he used. I loved the weirdness of the Guild Navigator. I mean, that thing was amazing seeing that on set. That was so cool. I mean, I I was skinny, like a skinny mini like Sting was back then. And I was in the costume department. I put on his costume and wore it one afternoon in Mexico. <laughs> and I was walking around and I remembered what, you know, um, uh, Lawrence Olivier said. He said, I never found my character until I put on the costume. And man, when you put on that costume, that costume was powerful. I felt so powerful wearing that, you know, his costume. And so I really understood that. And, you know, and then when you just see the the Reverend Mother and, you know, with those big giant head pieces. <laughs> and I mean, you know, those things were meticulously done. I mean, I mean, there were thousands upon thousands of you know, costumes and all kinds of things. People just don't realize how much goes into filmmaking and and how tired everyone is working 16 hours a day, getting a few hours of sleep and getting up and, you know, going back and doing the same thing. Oh, they dedicated their lives to it. As you did, you were a part of it four years. And also the exchange rates of the dollar versus the peso back then you can get so much more filming in Mexico city. I remember reading about how David had people combing the desert, like literally with rakes trying to get anything out of the sand because he wanted the sand to be absolutely perfect. So he had crews of people literally raking the Mexican sand to give it that arrakis look. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And of course they were in rubber suits and 110 degrees. So that was, that was not fun for them. I I wasn't there during that, but. uh, So do you think this Dune experience and looking where you you're at now somehow planted a seed because this is before you were 26 and had right. kind of your first awakening experience and people if you want to take a deeper dive and, and want to know about craig's story related to the other books and his true uh understanding of this go back and listen to episode 140 and this is part two so we we covered that quite a bit yeah. but did dune plant a seed did it help you awaken something was there something in that that resonated with that extraterrestrial consciousness well i i think it did but i didn't realize it that it it was orchestrated until after i was 26 because you see i was offered dune without even interviewing because I was recommended by a friend to them and they were just like, you know, we'd like you to start. And I actually turned it down. I, you know, I, I didn't know what Dune was. I didn't know a De Laurentiis. I didn't know David Lynch. I mean, I was young, I was naive and I turned it down and I finished my job at a different film company on a Friday and I went out on the weekend and blew my little tiny paycheck and had no money the following week. And I, and I was like, Ugh. and then they called me back like on that Monday or Tuesday and said, are you sure? 
And I begrudgingly said, <laughs> okay. Wow. To later go, oh my God, are you freaking crazy? Thank God it came back around because I would not have the career I have today if no. I was not on that trajectory. Yeah, obviously right. you were meant to be there for a lot of different yeah, reasons. For a lot of different reasons. And um, but as you know, as things started to progress and working on other movies, I started to see how Dino made movies and I started to see, you know, how things were done. And, you know, I also worked uh, behind the scenes on the original uh, Total Recall with Arnold. Oh, wow. And um, so I got to see a lot of that stuff. Yeah, it was very fun. I used to fly from, you know, uh, the Carol Cole offices with the Johnny Cab head and the head of the, the lady that exploded. So that was very fun. Wow. That was very fun watching uh, Mexican customs open those boxes. <laughs> and I, I just never said a word because they used to steal all of our stuff and I just wanted them to like freak, which they did. But, you know, they saw it was in the manifest. And then at a certain time, we had to have certain people there to make sure the stuff got through because they were shooting with it like literally the second I brought it to the set. So Interesting. Um, yeah. So anyway, I did. So by, you know, by that time, I started to see that everything was being orchestrated and that even though I was just this kid from the valley, right, who had no experience writing, who had no experience with anything, except my awakening, right? My spiritual awakening, which like you said, people can listen to in episode 140. But um, I then just realized, oh, you can do this. You've already been through it. It's, it's a step-by-step -step process. And I just, you know, learned uh, I learned along the way and uh, that kind of thing. And I, you know, I, uh, when I received the information for the books, I saw it, I heard it, I dreamt it. I would visit there. I would astral travel there if I closed my eyes. I mean, it was so vivid that I was like, I have got to find an artist to bring these characters to life so people can see what I'm seeing. You know, which which I did. And I, I I would take as many casting jobs as I could to pay the artist. I mean, I paid out a lot of money for each book to be, you know, have artwork in it uh, up to 80 pieces of artwork per book. Right. So people could see what the landscapes look like, the ships, the interior of the ships, what the extraterrestrial look like, what their uniforms and, you know, the whole Galactarian alignment of space peoples and planets and all of that. So it was it was an, a complete joy going on that journey. And I'm still on that journey. And we'll talk more about that when we get there. Well, I just want to remind people. <laughs> Just to give you a little encapsulation, there was a six-month period in Craig's life where he was having reoccurring dreams where these entities were coming in and giving him this information like he was saying, and then they started to kind of come into the third dimension more and interact more, and that was the genesis for the autobiography of an extraterrestrial saga. 
Right, exactly. They were three uh, universal master teachers. Really? And, and what were their yeah. names? Uh, one is uh, Jacobaba. Right. Moyava and Eris. Oh. So Eris is human. She's a female human. The other two come from the very first super universe on the very first world created called Marama. And they are in the world where everything is created and goes out into all of creation so that everything has a different experience. How's that? That's yeah, mind blowing. That, that's just that's just like a little. That's like was not even one percent, people. <laughs> but you get this experience. They're they're talking to you. They're dictating these things to you. Did you know right away that it was going to be like a book and then a book series, or do, were you just recording the information as it came? No, I I uh, well, when it first happened, I would I would just write down all the experiences. And I would write what was going on. And that ended up being a 400 page book. So after a year of going through a lot of these experiences or more, right, I, um, I finished that book and, uh, and I gave it to a very prominent spiritual writer of the times who helped guide me in a few different ways. And then I decided to go to Mount Shasta and, um, and just go there uh, because, and just to treat myself for saying, you know, good job, you got a book out <laughs> and all of that. And I went with a friend of mine and we were staying at her friends. They had a big, beautiful house. And they told me, they said, look, we want you um, to stay out in um, uh, the apartment over the garage, which was a huge garage. So it's like twice the size of like a normal size apartment, but it's just one big room with giant high ceilings. So one corner was a bedroom, one was a kitchen, one was the living room, one was you know where the dining room table was, and it had a view of Mount Shasta. It was very beautiful. So I felt very lucky and I went there and I, um, you know, so I had some tea, I did a little meditation and I went to bed and I literally consciously astral traveled out of my body, like lifted up, was looking down at my sleeping body. And then I saw a 12 inch glowing white snake crawling on the bed and it bit me right here. And my body went, it twitched, right? And then my astral body split into masculine and feminine. And I literally heard uh, the great I am speak. You are to be what we are in the and uh, and then it went on through uh, some other things. Um, uh, a little uh, saying, I, I can't think of the whole thing. I haven't recited it in so long. But, um, <laughs> That's powerful. And just for listeners, I just want to point out, it, it bit him on the palm of his hand in between its index and thumb in that little yeah, area there. It bit him right exactly. there. So um, anyway, and then I went back into my body and 
I, I just, you know, contemplated that. And I thought, well, I'll, the next morning I drove up uh, to the top of the mountain to Panther Meadows. And I thought, well, I'm just going to go there and meditate on what that experience was. And then on the way down, um, the the mountain, I was just driving slow. And on the asphalt was a real physical, pure black 12-inch snake crawling across the asphalt. And before I could uh, hit the brakes, I ran it over and killed it. Oh, my God. And then I went, oh, and I realized what this was. This was about duality. This whole thing was about duality. And then that this is what the master teachers taught me. I never thought about what duality was. You know, it's like, yeah, there's right and wrong, but I never thought about contemplating it, right? So the math, these master teachers, um, which are, by the way, from the great I am or the great presence or, you know, uh, if you want to call it source, whatever you, you want to call it, you know, because the way it's all been explained to me is that all beings have a purpose, and that even um, some of the ancient, ancient beings are, are the facilitators for source, for God, for whatever you want to call it, right? right? Because it, we, don't, we don't really need to call it anything because it's the energy of all that is, because that's exactly how we all came to being, right? We're all... We're all the many in one and one in the many. Right. We're right. all source. So we all come from we're source for all, all that. All of it is so, source, actually. It is. And and why I like to try and explain it that way is because, you know, a lot of people who may be religiously, um, um, you know, it, it might confuse them, you know. So you can just, whatever energy you think it is, it is. Right. Right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter because it's all doing the same thing. Right. So. And there are these beings, like you're saying, they're just a couple, if you can quantify it this way, a couple steps below source. I, I, I don't even really want to yeah. say it that way, but like, it's it, true. It, it's but they're true. just like right there somehow in an individuated consciousness, but quantum, but then here helping us. Helping humanity here, evolve. Absolutely. Here helping us and doing that. And you know what was interesting is there were a few other people because, you know, I had a buddy of mine uh, who lived up north and he came down and he he's an incredible uh, airbrush artist. And he was going to paint them for me for my book. And he came down and, you know, I described them and, and I said, well, just go to bed. And, you know, when, when we wake up in the morning, we'll, we'll do that. Well, he stayed up all night. They just came to him. He had them all sketched out. He had wow. everything down to the penny. Right. And then, um, and then he went home and he, he painted three giant paintings for me. Right. And, uh, and there, it's just so magical. But then, what that spurred from him from that experience is he had a gi uh, a gigantic 
Syrian being who is over eight feet tall with very elongated heads like these beings had from this universe was with him for a year who became his teacher. Wow. So he attracted yeah. that, like the, like going he, into that frequency totally. and the energy Absolutely. pulled it in. Absolutely. <sighs> Absolutely. And he is also, um, when it comes out, hopefully by spring of next year, um, he's in the uh, E.T. Species Almanac, the documentary as well. That's coming later so, this year. No, no, no. Ne uh, next, next spring, I hope. Oh, that sounds we're, exciting. We're still, yeah, we're still finishing it. So. Wow. Okay, yeah. so you're writing the first book. There's four books. Right. How long did it take you to write these four books? Well, it was a very, very long time. So let's see. Um, because I just kept writing and writing and writing. So book one and book two were really book one. And then I sort of split them. Right. Um, and then, then I, I knew what book three was going to be. I knew it was going to be about the greater duality in the universe between Archangel Michael and Lucifer, who had been on this prison planet for 200,000 years <laughs> in seclusion. And then the lead character, Tehran, is sent by Michael to take down his lateral statement which he has never given to anybody before, but for some reason he takes a liking to Tehran, and then this whole other story starts to unfold, and we find out the whole Lucifer backstory, right, in that book, and that, um, you know, he has never sought redemption, so he is put on trial for soul death. Now, when that came out of my hands, I had never even thought of the concept that you you could end a soul forever. Really? I had never, no, I've never thought of that uh, in a sense that it was an actual thing, a hierarchical thing, that if a soul refuses redemption they give it a long span of time lucifer had two hundred thousand years of stubbornness right and self-righteousness and then he goes on trial and then has to defend himself and what's interesting um is that you think it's one or it's only one or two outcomes, but there is a third, and it blew my mind what the third one was. Yes, and we're not going to tell people, but we're going to tell no, people <laughs> to check out the books because it is enthralling, yeah. and there's even an audible yeah. version. It's, it's beautiful, but this is something that I noticed right away because specifically referencing that book, what you talk about is a Lucifer rebellion story in this series or right. your series is far different from what we're taught in mainstream religion around the world. So right. how much of earth's culture is based on these universal archetypes because there's Greek gods, there's Judeo Christian archetypes showing up in your book yeah. series throughout and they're throughout the universe. We already know this from right. other guests as well. This is very true. So, but, but what happened with earth, how did we distort these stories of Jesus and other universal beings? Well, 
I, I don't know how those stories uh, got distorted. I mean, that's like, you know, five programs of, <laughs> of stuff. But here's one thing that I do know is that, of course, we know there's the um, Akashic Records. Yes. Or as I call it, the Library of Akasha. But there also is things with these very advanced extraterrestrials, uh, um, angelic core, et cetera, that they, they can put this history on a coin and you can watch it in a theater in real time of exactly how it happened. So when they're brought up and they teach their children, they're taught from real historical records. Right. Not like us, where people from way back when, because, you know, I am not a biblical scholar <laughs> at all, but I love, um, I, you know, I, I love that whole biblical period. Oh, I, yeah. uh, I totally love Jesus's message and uh, all of that. And, you know, just everything that went on around it. Um but then, you know, we have so many different things about who oh, this was Mary Magdalene and this is who she was and this is who she was. And, right. you know, so everything kind of gets around. But we know that these things weren't written until hundreds of years after his death. Right. right. And um, so I, I tell everybody, look at the bright side. When you go to the other side, you're going to have access and you'll know the truth then. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I have so many things I want to look up. Yeah, believe me, I've thought about that for many, many years, but it just seems like, yeah. and I've talked to so many other high-frequency people, and they talk about all of these same things, Jesus and these entities out there serving other races and also just existing yeah. as energetic archetypes. So it's like, how did we lose touch with that? You, you feel like it's just because of oral tradition, kind of like the telephone theory where things get lost over time and translation and things like that? Or do you feel like the true history of Earth has been suppressed and covered up? Well, we one thing that we do know is when uh, the Lucifer Rebellion um, began is that they closed Earth off to all other worlds, right? <sighs> We could never, we couldn't leave here and nobody could come here without permission. So that's why we're closed off. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, believe that the, the rest of the, our, our solar system or our Milky Way galaxy is not populated. It is populated. They're populated on the interior of the planet. <laughs> and they have the technology to make it into a spaceship, just like the inner Earth as well, right? So, Absolutely. and the thing is, is how they stay looking young and healthy and living very long uh, uh, lives is that they know how to set the resonation field, or as I call it, the God code. It's a resonation that keeps their cellular structure in perfect harmony with source, right? So this is on their ships. It's built into their suits. It's built into everything. You know, Valiant Thor from Stranger of the Pentagon came 
with that information uh, back in 57. Um, there was another being that also came with that information. I'm just trying to think of which one it was. It, um, it, it seems like if you get that high technology, like you're already, you, you've already tapped right. into the secrets of the universe. Like you're prolonging life, age, matter, everything. It was George Van Tassel with Salgonda, which predated by a few years, I think in 52 or 53, with a Venusian called Salgonda who helped him build the Integratron, which was built for you to walk from one end of it to the other, and your cellular, your cells would be rejuvenated and you would live a long life. Well, it seems like yeah. like you would think, we they, they, that level of technology, complete mastery of yeah. matter, energy, right. consciousness, things like that, bringing people back from one cell. Exactly. Exactly. But look, you know, what's, what's great about it is that there's been consciousness raising programs going on on earth through star seeds and then other advanced beings coming up, people, you know, writing books, doing movies, doing things to elevate the consciousness. You know, of course, we have the other end that are trying to do the exact opposite and scare <laughs> people. So, um, but look how far we've come. I mean, if you think of the Middle Ages up and through the early 1900s, that took a long time. Yes. Right. But if you think about where we were in the 70s consciously, to where most of the planet is today, except for, you know, all the crazy makers doing all the crazy stuff on the planet. The low frequency. I, yeah, low frequency, but the population, right? It's the population because it's the population that's going to um, uh, release disclosure, not the governments. Governments aren't going to disclose anything. Right. Our government. Right. They're not going to just they're not going to disclose it because they can't. I mean, there's so many reasons that you could go into why they can't. And you know what? If I were them, I wouldn't do it either. They tried doing it a little bit through to the stars and and leaking a few things. This tests the public's reaction. But now everyone has a camera. Everyone has one of these. Right. It's irrefutable. Right. So. Now, with everything that's going on, it's the public that's going to actually bring forth disclosure. Absolutely. And I think that yeah. over time, we have been desensitized collectively yeah. to the concept of extraterrestrials that were not yes. the only life in the universe. You, you can see it in the movies and the media yeah. and the other things. And now you talk to the average person and they don't have an intrinsic fear of extraterrestrials that may have been present in the past. They're that's like, right. oh, cool. Yeah, bring it on. Yeah, Will Smith. Sure. Yeah. Men in black. Yeah, you yeah. know, whatever. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, so it, which is all that's like, right. whoa, that's like a like a like a paradigm shift almost. Like, yeah. Especially when yeah. President, former President Obama went on a late night talk show essentially saying, yes, of course, aliens are real in a very serious way. And then also the recent releases that have been going on with the congressional testimonies and just yes. the Air Force and the other UFO footage that has been released to the public. All of this is just getting us ready for this thing that's just around the corner. It totally is. And, you know, with the congressional stuff, um, I'm just trying to find out what the real name so people can find <laughs> it because 
It's, uh, let me just see if I can find it. Uh, if you go to citizenhearing.org, this was the first uh, one that they did many, many years ago, which none of the press would give them. They wouldn't even talk about it. The press wouldn't talk about it. And you could watch the very first citizen hearing on disclosure in which 40 researchers, as well as military personnel, agency officials, and high-ranking politicians came together at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. to testify what they know regarding the UFO ET cover-up. So that is like, uh, you can watch it at hearing.org, but you, I think you used to be able to get, it was like a, a ton of cassettes. Oh, interesting. Literally, you know, there was so much information. Oh, are we ready, Craig? Are we ready for the landing? Are we ready for the extraterrestrials to re reveal themselves in the third dimension to the general public? Well, I think because so many people are starting to have their own encounters, it's, it might start on the interior and then... Um, kind of fan and, out, like you were saying. Yeah, and then, you know, I know that that's happened to a lot of people, so they're more welcoming to it. And then maybe the next phase would be that they'll befriend someone and then eventually that person will tell them where they're from, right? That kind of thing. You know, there, there is part of the consciousness raising program is where star seeds are here. They, they allow uh, the galactarian alignment to um, take their uh, human DNA and then they create hybrid babies with uh, humans, uh, galactic humans and earth humans. And then those pe people are groomed to be teachers on earth, to be very high spiritual teachers. And those are already stepping down on the planet now and intermingling. And they'll, they'll, they increase every year. And, you know, there's sometimes you just meet somebody and you just get a feeling and you just start getting oh, yeah. chills and you're like, wow, you know, and sometimes those people might reveal themselves and, um, you know, sometimes they won't, but eventually they all will. And it won't, it, you know, it's not going to be a scary and trenching thing and they're not going to like put a zillion ships over the skies and scare people that would be called that would be called a false flag absolutely project bluebeam <laughs> right. people that's right that would be <laughs> a false flag they would never ever do that to a planet a young planet such as ours because they're in charge of the consciousness raising program and once we reach their consciousness then they will start to intermingle with us slowly and surely and take little groups of people on expeditions i mean i would love to go on one of those expeditions uh, right so. <laughs> yeah and i mean and you know and so forth so so in your book series, one yeah. thing that was prevalent, and it, it was actually an introduction at the beginning, was the comment about the Urantia book being a big part mm. of it. Now, I want to understand this more, because for people yeah. that don't know, the Urantia book was published by the Urantia Society in, I believe, 1955, and it yes. contained a lot of really 
big concepts, new information, really high frequency information. How would yeah. you describe the Urantia and how does it relate to your book series? Well, I literally all my life, I, you know, when uh, my, my father is Catholic, right? My mother didn't really uh, grow up religious, but when I was young, my mother felt that I needed maybe some some kind of religious upbringing. So they put me in Catholic school or parochial school. So I went uh, for three years. And I will say I learned an awful lot because, you know, those nuns, they don't mess around, <laughs> right? <laughs> and and I did get my hand hit with the root. That, that stuff is true. Um, but I did have one, one teacher, Sister Mary Rose was her name, and she was an incredible teacher. And I just, I just still to this day carry such love for her. I no longer, I'm not religious at all. I would, I would call myself spiritual. Um, and just tune myself to the universe and, uh, and to the harmonics that way. But I love everybody's beliefs and all of that because we're all where, what we need to do and what we need to learn. Absolutely. Right. But, um, what was that? What was the first part of that question? Oh. Cause I know I was going somewhere. <laughs> the Urantia book. Uh, oh, there we go. There we go. How would you so, describe it and how does it relate to your series? So I always wondered because the way that they always talked as Jesus as God and this and then there was all the gods and then there was I was so confused I didn't know <laughs> what was what and then one day I happened upon the Urantia book that explained it all and I went oh that all makes perfect sense to me right it makes perfect sense to me that source or God makes separate personalities of itself to run the spiritual network of the universe, right? So we would consider those archangels, Michael, Gabriel, you know, uh, Uriel, all of them would be what we would call paradise sons. Now, what they call ancients of days are previous paradise sons from previous universes who, who really, you know, what, once you have been go from universe to universe to universe to universe, right? That these ancients of days become so brilliant because they're really schooled in um, uh, as many universes as that they've been a part of. And really we're all part of all of them. But if you, if you can con uh, conceptualize this, that there are seven super universes and with each one of those, super universes, there are 700,000 ovums or universes. And we're in just one of those in <laughs> super universe seven. Wow. Right. That's so expansive. So, it's mind blowing. So it's so expansive because, you know, now this universe is said to have been given the most free will of any other universe, because, you know, my big questions always have been why, 
why, uh, how can you allow somebody like a Hitler to do what he did? You know, how can you allow these wars, these bombings, these horrible things, beheadings, all of these things that have happened throughout all of the centuries? And when you really boil down to it, a lot of people, like let's say who might have been murdered or uh, have gone to the other side, um, sometimes they come back and they say, oh, it's a lie. <laughs> this is a lie. This is the true home, right? So this is the playground where you get to be God. And you get to manifest, and you get to pull things in for the material world. You make do, it okay. and over there, it's where you are God. Uh, right? So Interesting. I mean, oh, I just get the chills thinking <laughs> about it. You know? It's powerful. Because, yeah, it's super it's, powerful. It's, it's really, it's simplistic and powerful. And Jacobaba, who is an, what we, you know, is... Uh, uh, what I would deem as a ultra terrestrial, um, he has many, they, they have many titles, but they don't go by titles. Um, it's just for our own edification. Right. Right. Um, but, um, he said, you know, experience doesn't differentiate between the mental, physical or spiritual. So if you astral travel as I was doing with them in the beginning, he said, you are having that experience. And that experience is added to your soul. You see? So, because, you know, at first I just thought I was dreaming it. And then I realized in, in, uh, in months two uh, to four that I actually was there. I would wake up in that dimension wherever they were at that time because so, it's, it's in information it's just information right. and then when you're That's taking right. on the energy of information you're expanding that information exactly. doesn't die it becomes exactly. a part of you doesn't matter what dimension you're in what time stream time space if right. you're integrating the information that's right. what counts that's what matters that's right and the thing is is that everything you are and have been is in your cellular structure. So what they were doing for me was waking up my cells to that past cosmic heritage that went back into many, 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 many lineages and that kind of thing. And so when I began, when he said to me on the day that I returned from Mount Shasta, right? Father Jacobova came to me and said, what would you say if I told you you wrote that book for yourself? And I said, then I've learned a lot about myself. And he said, now it's time to sit down and write the books you were meant to write. That's why you came. That's why you came here to Earth. And I said, okay. And, you know, and I just got a pen and I had a, a legal pad and I just would write, and he said, you know, write and write and write until you can write no more. Don't stop. Don't edit. You don't know what a word is. Just write it out. We'll answer it later. There were words still to this day when I write. I don't know how to spell them. I don't know what they mean, but they'll spell them for me, and I'll look it up in the dictionary, and my mind will be blown, right? Because I'm a simpleton. I literally <laughs> am a simpleton. I am not kidding. And I think... The reason for this is because 
it's for everyone to see that you can achieve anything. You can you can achieve um, uh, uh, merging your duality. You can achieve entering super consciousness. You can do all of that, right? Yes. So so that's why. I think I was born into a simpleton life and that kind of thing. Because, you know, I, I, I say if I was born into a rich family, you know, I definitely wouldn't have taken this path. Right. Right. So, as humans, we are living light. There's no doubt. Right. Every religion, the deepest spiritual philosophies, they all kind of go back to the same place. We're living light, an extension of source and containing all of that information, energy of the entire universe. It's locked up inside our beautiful human body. If we train ourselves, if we learn how to utilize those things, we can unlock those things, which yeah. is kind of like a theme of the book series, which I found so powerful and so amazing is that all of these entities out in the universe are striving to activate their Christ consciousness there. Right. It doesn't matter how high frequency they're Pleiadian. They have all this advanced technology. They're able to do these amazing things. They're still striving for that Christendom that you talk about in your books. Right. And, and you can ascend a million times. It's not just one ascension, right? <laughs> right. Like, and it's not just one spiritual awakening. I mean, I had my first one when I was 26. I thought, oh, that's it. And then in 2014, I had another one. And I, I mean, they're rough to get through because you're really struggling with getting to that next level of consciousness and releasing the old patterns, right? So it's really struggling. And once you can just get past what those lessons are and recognize them then you can but what what i like about the books is that they orchestrated them so that you follow Tehran, who's a pleiadian being who is born dualistic because up up in their worlds every 200,000 souls one being will be born dualistic instead of fully conscious and that is so that the fully conscious beings will stay, um, uh, they'll be more... Um, Almost like an anchor, you could say, like holding that energetic right. field. Yeah, it's it's like they, they don't have access to dualistic beings, so they get to interact with each other because they don't know. And the same for the dualistic being is interacting with fully conscious beings. So there are two different consciousness really trying to understand each other, right? So Tehran is is uh, uh, really searching for to uh, uh, overcome duality and become dualistic. And throughout the first three books, the actual reader be can become the actual character of Tehran and learn how to do it themselves. <sighs> And that's yeah. the thing about this book series is that these people, these beings, these characters that are in this series, they have relationships, they have struggles, they have yeah. things to <laughs> accomplish, uh, terrible things that happen. There's all kinds of situations that happen within these books that are very reflective of what we experience on earth. So it almost lends itself to the idea that, that there's so much out there in the universe 
happening that's similar to what's happening on earth. There's like a microcosm, macrocosm, yeah. except they're in a higher bandwidth. So even though they're in this right. higher frequency, higher bandwidth, some of those things carry over. Some of those things are still happening. They, they are. And the thing is, is when, uh, you know, the thing about being fully conscious, it doesn't mean that your feelings don't get hurt. It means that you have the power to understand them and talk them through with whoever you are actually might be having a conflict with or emotional uh, things as in a relationship or things of that nature. And, you know, and then, you know, I think the other big thing that was interesting to me because they live thousands and thousands and thousands of years, you're like, wow, they're not going to just take one mate. Right. I did notice that. That would be boring, <laughs> you know? And I was like, you know, I really could see that if you really are coming from a place of unconditional love, right? That, that, Let's say if you had a wife and you'd been together for 200 years, she'd be like, oh, my God, go to another <laughs> galaxy for a while. <laughs> you know, but here they can actually if they choose to right? like before they actually would vow themselves to one another, they they would have the conversation if they wanted monogamy or if they wanted uh, open relationship. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, and that could, you know, that could include uh, uh, it, like even for just a male, it could include men, women, hermaphrodites. Right. With both sexes, uh, both sexual organs, um, the identities and sexuality out there have not been explored as much as I've seen on earth yeah. because it is truly astounding. Well, well, we've really put it to the test here. I mean, the, the whole sexual did, experience. We did. I actually once asked <laughs> Yvonne Smith about, you know, I said, have they ever talked about sexual intercourse? And she goes, Oh God, no, they never have. You know, and I was like, okay, well, this is what I've been shown, you know, and it's, it's like fascinating. It's fascinating, uh, you know, to think that like some, some beings, like maybe some greys have a vagina and a penis, but the penis is inside, right? And so, each other could carry a baby. Yeah. I, it, it, there's just so many it's, possibilities. And the thing is, it's, it's like amazing when you're in that high frequency experience. And I think right. this is what you're saying is that you're just love, right? So you're with somebody 200,000 years. That doesn't yeah. mean you can't love another being and then kind of spend a epoch of time with that person, yeah, maybe even exactly. rotate back and there's no attachment. That's such a human thing. This attachment that we have this, this ownership of a being when there's unions created. Now there can be kind of like a collaborative union where everybody disagrees, but the forced they unions, do. the different things, the attachments, I feel like a lot of that is human earth. It is. It is. Yeah. It all is. And it, it, it's all based on early um, religious um, constructs. Absolutely. That, uh, you know, but um, 
that this is the way that you have to do this and this is the way you have to do that. And, you know, even the Ten Commandments, you know, it's a guideline. Right. It was a guideline. Right. So um, it's uh, it's just fascinating to, you know, just to see how consciousness splinters off into different things from different thoughts and people and how uh, things are created. It's it's incredible. And then you can always step back and realize it's all one. We're all one. It doesn't matter where we show up in the universe. It can be in the farthest right. galaxy you can possibly imagine. It's just one life. It's all one. We're one family. We're one universal family. And that's something right. I thought was so beautiful about your book series is because it really yeah. was a deep dive into the mechanics of how these non-terrestrial beings live their lives, how they how they deal with problems and, and big situations intergalactically. There's a lot of like, just like understanding how this works. And even if you're reading this and you're reading the books and you're feeling like, wow, this is like a really entertaining story. In the And it is, it's very entertaining. And in the midst of all that, you can read between the lines and understand that those things, those concepts, the technology, all of it is what is going on out there. And that's really what starts to kind of poke at the subconscious, the, the, the past lives, the cellular right. ethereal memory. It's those things in the book that for me really started to poke on that. I was like, Oh, I can almost see it. I can almost remember right. it. I can almost, Ooh, Ooh. Almost, yeah, <laughs> it is. It does. It sort of ra raises you and, and, and helps you to remember that. I mean, a lot of people tell me, God, when I was reading the book, it was like the words were coming up off the page and it was, activating me in into understanding you know this uh this unique consciousness i mean if we were to step foot in inside a giant bay on a mothership everyone would turn around and look at you because you are a new person coming in and they would send their love your way. And it would be so overwhelming that you would sob and sob and sob and sob because you can't believe there's that much love. And if you were down or let's say you broke up with your girlfriend or whatever, and you're walking, all the people around you would see that and they would stop and they would care for you until you got back to your mental equilibrium they would help you maybe talk through the problem and then you might have you know uh uh leave some time before you go and talk to your ex-girlfriend about making things right or or uh, what what have you you know, it just taps I mean, you it, into that higher frequency, which then influences all of your exactly. life, your thinking, absolutely. your daily activities, your relationships, everything. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. It, it, it's awesome. It's an awesome book. Series. It is. It uh, is. There, there's just so much because it's like one, but it, I mean, we could oh, have a man. 12 hour podcast about your books, but I want to talk <laughs> about one point and you talked yeah. about this in one of the books the concept of the 144,000. Now in the Judeo Christian understanding in the book of revelations, it talks about these special humans 
12,000 people from the 12 tribes of Israel equaling 144,000. That would kind of help activate the new earth. It kind of says it in its own way in the Judeo-Christian right. Bible. And then in the Hopi, uh, the Native Americans, the Hopi have a legend of the 144,000 sun shields that are going to create a new earth. Of course, the number 144,000 shows up in Mayan culture, Egyptian culture. It's a big, big number. There's something there, but there's something bigger with that. There's a Pleiadian mission. There's something that's attached to that concept that's bigger than Judeo-Christian, that's bigger than Earth. Can we talk about that? Well, it's it's a, uh, how I understand it in simplistic terms, it's a mathematical number that when, let's say, on Earth, once 144,000 people have reached uh, full consciousness, that is the time it will go and spread throughout all the rest of the consciousness on Earth. Right? That's enough to activate the human consciousness pool. Exactly, exactly. And and then it will spark everyone. Um, some could be like totally asleep. Some could be some could be working on on it or whatever. But it will spark them to only do one thing is to become fully conscious. That will be their mission in their lifetime. So do right? the star seeds, the Pleiades, do they have a role in activating those people? Yes. Yeah, they do. So uh, a lot of the star seeds get um, activated as well. And it's not just Pleiadians. It's you right, know, of course. From, <laughs> all of, from all of the cultures and things. But, you know, um, I mean, my soul is from the Pleiades. I've I mean, I've known that ever since I was woken up. I mean, the minute I heard that that word Pleiades, I literally just sat down and sobbed and sobbed. And I just kept saying, I miss home. I miss home. And I didn't even know why I was saying it. Yes, right? I've had similar experiences and I've met other people yeah. that have felt that as well. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but it's a, it's a thing that will really just start activating everybody. You know, the thing is, what's interesting is how they view it, because, you know, Tehran is a big part of the Starseed uh, program. And um, as the uh, alignment looks over all of the Starseeds, you know, some of the newer Starseeds freak out. <laughs> it's, a, it's hard for them to adapt here because, you know, they're back in this dualistic uh, realm and so they revert and then they're trying to get them back on track right to move push past the fear right yes i've it's heard really, of star seed suicide sorry to interrupt you there yeah no i know and i i actually met a woman who was married had two daughters and she was being shown her cosmic children and she just wanted to go home and she called me and she's uh, you know she was a older lady in her 60s at the time and um she said craig i'm gonna um, commit suicide i'm gonna go home and i said you can't you can't do that i said you can't do that to your family here and if you were to do that what your your actual mission is here you would not have fulfilled it and you will have to come back in another reincarnation cycle and it will only prolong your return mission 
your return, your mission of raising consciousness. And so, and so that really helped her through it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot, you know, and, and that's, that's what T Ron does. You were saying he helps, he helps these star seeds coming from this planet seeds, specifically right. kind of adjust. Right. <laughs> yes. Adjust. And, and it's hard, but you know, but as you start to get up there, you know, I've met a lot of other people who are even in high positions or, you know, in government and things like that, who are awake and, you know, they're like, yeah, pretty trippy being awake, isn't it? <laughs> it's, like, it's all over. Yeah. I, think, I think we're all everywhere. I was just yeah. talking with a recent guest who talked about her starseed connections, Gail Lynn with the harmonic egg, uh, her starseed connections with a executive at Ford Motor Company. And, you know, so these people are everywhere. We're everywhere. So what yeah. is the purpose? Like, why are we here? We're, we're here to activate humanity, but there has to be something more. I mean, there, is it our own evolution as well? Like being a part oh, of the earth experience? Like, like completely, completely. You know, there are angelics that have stepped down their energy. There are advanced beings from other super universes and universes that have stepped down and just shaved off a piece of their soul for an incarnation mission here. There And because what that does is they're actually gaining experience also for their own soul in this learning process. Right. Right. But also in the same respect, helping humanity in in a wide net as well. And I will tell you, I have done the harmonic egg many times and it is amazing and Whoa. my very my very first time i felt two giant syrians standing next to me in the actual egg with my eyes closed and my body just rang with chills over and over and over again and my energy went way up and i i didn't even know gail i just i just you know i we i corresponded with her and i said this is my experience and um and I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it was actually built also on Syrian technology. Yes. Yeah. Oh, you'll have to yeah. listen to the episode. She was just yeah. on a few weeks yeah. ago. Uh, yeah. Absolutely incredible lady. And there's actually a harmonic egg very close to me. Two of them within five, oh. five miles of where I'm at right now. And so oh, um, I was kind of down with an illness, but I'm going to be visiting them very soon. I'm back, people. I'm back. Good. That's, good. What, that's so interesting that you know about that. What, what oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I love the harmonic egg. So I asked you this last time and I'll ask you this again. What makes humanity so special? Why, again, why are we so cool? Why are these beings coming from across galaxies, universes to help us evolve with so many civilizations out in the universe? So many people, uh, conscious beings equal to us in love, like getting that same love from source. Like, why are we so special? Well, I think, I think we're special because this is just such a unique planet because, um, it, uh, it goes back through so much history with the Greeks, uh, Egyptians also with other civilizations um, you know, and then uh, there's Atlantis, there was Lemuria, um, and like the Lemurian capital is uh, also below Mount Shasta. 
Um, the uh, po uh, Posid is the uh, capital underneath the Mato Grasso. So after everything was destroyed, a lot of that civil remaining civilization went underground. And then a lot of the Syrians from um, Atlantis went into Egypt. Oh, so there, right. there, there is this extraterrestrial presence here. And it's, there is. And it, is it because of the various types of DNA that have been spliced into the human DNA genome over time? Like we're just connected to everybody. Over time. I mean, it's amazing. There's a race called the Solzars. And the Solzars are these big, tall beings with these elongated heads. They have this massive brain function. And they purposely took all of the best um, genetics from across the universe. And their race combines 33 of the top genetics. And so they are really smart brainiacs. And over time, they are incorporating um, 10 more uh, to go to a total of 44. Okay. Right? So, you know, you have these things and then you have, you know, look, life, life in for the very um, advanced uh, extraterrestrials, the fully conscious extraterrestrials, the angelic core, those kind of things. They think all life is precious and they want to help raise up. So all of the races that were here before, and there's a lot of them, Pleiadians, Syrians, all of that, you know, they want to help raise us up. Plus, they also don't want us to destroy the planet and blow it up. And that'll screw up the rest of the universe as well. Right. So these programs were implemented a long, long time ago and they, you know, they keep watch on it. Um, but it's it's, um, you know, then there's other the the lower G's or the lower gods like uh, uh, the bad grays and things like that, you know. They only see us as opportunities, as <laughs> genetics, or right. or they want to steal resources from the planet. Now, look, planets aren't owned by the race that that dominates them. Planets are for everyone. They're autonomous right? beings. Yes. Yes, they absolutely are. But you know, in a, a aggressive societies that like on Earth, you know, they don't want that. So all of this, you know, causes dissension and all of that. And uh, so, you know, that's why there's such a big struggle going on here right now is because, you know, these lower, these lower entities want to keep rain on a planet that has been suppressed for a very, very long time. They don't want it to go fully conscious. And yeah, they've been feeding right? off the energy. Right, because then they have to vacate because they can't they can't live in that energy, and then they lose the resource. Right, right. right. They have been uh, loving us. We're like a buffet, an energy buffet. Right, and they exactly. don't want to lose that. And and some would say a buffet. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 mind blowing, but that's the thing. This is our evolution. This is the human story. 
And then when we're in that ascended place, we'll be able to look back at our history and realize that as we are all one, we were just kind of hurting ourselves. We were hurting ourselves before we could get out and hurt other people because the hurt that we have for that we do to ourselves as a race, as humans, we can heal, we can forgive, which were two huge themes of the book series were forgiveness yeah. and redemption. Yes, like, absolutely. So, absolutely. you know, I think we have this. So, so we can't bring the low frequency behavior, the low frequency thinking, all of that, the cons- rampant consumerism, just, you know, all of that. We can't bring that out into the solar system. We can't influence. Right. It's, it's a yeah. lower energy. It's just not where they're at. However, I do want to know how are these bad grace, as you call them, getting this advanced technology, because it seems like in order to get this advanced technology through inspiration, that you would have to be a loving high frequency being, were they corrupted? Did they have it and then fall or did they get it through nefarious means? How are these beings able to get this? Well, I think it's a combination of all of those things. They could steal it. They could. Uh, Yeah. um, You know, they, uh, there's so many ways uh, because Every scenario that you can think of has happened. Right. Because it's a gigantic big universe and it just happens. Right. It just happens. And and the thing is, is that, you know, their their technology, um, we would think of as being Superb, but then when you get into the fully conscious races and that, theirs is like beyond, oh. beyond, beyond, beyond. You know what's interesting? Like <laughs> I never thought of their, it that way. See, stuff in their ships, they mine stuff in the astral world that helps their ships to go. Oh my god! So like, Graves couldn't even get to the the actual uh technologies that they use like uh uh like make crystals and things like that from the astral world that would uh help to propel their ships and things like that and <sighs> in, in light ships and different ships and time ships and thought ships and all different kinds of ships so so, so, so we see it as humans as advanced technology because we're halfway between caveman and right. star trek but truly right. the advanced technology is we we can barely fathom it but so much right. of it is encapsulated yeah. and in your book series right and the thing is is that those beings are going to make sure that you know a civilization a young civilization is not going to get their hands on that big technology <sighs> Because they, yeah, we know what would happen with that. But, so. but some of the technology that we have now has been seeded by extraterrestrials through yes. abduction trading programs and various uh, black right. programs. Yes, absolutely. <sighs> so so absolutely. Are, are we exactly where we're supposed to be, in your opinion? Or have we uh, been influenced uh, chaotically and we're still on course, but maybe not exactly how we were supposed to be? I think we're <laughs> we're in the place that we're meant to be and that I just don't want people to worry because there are um, angelics and very high beings that are keeping a watchful eye that everything is going to be run smoothly, right? You know, it's interesting. I was watching... Um, a documentary, I think it was a, a, one of the new Steven Spielberg ones on UFOs, right? 
and in um, when, when they had the meltdown in uh, Japan, Fukushima, the, the nuclear, Fukushima, that uh, they were there in the hazmat suits and they were taking a reading. It was like 3000 something radiation, which was like off, off, off the charts. And then they saw a ship come in. They actually, somebody filmed it and they were showing it, shooting a beam down into it, into the actual reactor. And after um, the ship left, they did a reading again and it was 800. So there, there, there's, there's something making sure there's some error correcting yes, beings out there, making sure we right. don't just yeah. blow the whole thing. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, imagine what that would have been if it really went out and destroy oh, the whole all western the hemisphere yeah like everything yeah exactly everything ah <sighs> wow. well yeah, thank everything. god and thank all the beings out there for guiding us and watching us and making sure that we're on track i believe we are headed for that beautiful united earth where we're all living together and traveling with our galactic family as ambassadors of love and life i think we're on that path this is just the growing pains we have to shed off the lower frequency things collectively and then we will get there but temporally yeah. in the moment uh, right now for most people, it, it seems kind of chaotic, like, Oh my God. But right, just right. realize when you're in it, you're, you're <laughs> in the fear. Just remember to center yourself and remember you're here to spiritually grow. And that will help to push all of that up and out of our consciousness on earth by you working on yourself that's what everybody is here to do yes absolutely we right? have to work so, on ourselves and then we get that grand prize we get we the do. Grand prize, <laughs> which is a beautiful planet where we're together doesn't that sound awesome people we have yeah. this manifestation power we can create any world that we dream of we visualize we have the most power you could possibly imagine locked up with inside us we can create that world. Don't let anyone Absolutely. tell you differently. We can That's create right. that world. And let me tell you something, people, we have assistance from all over the universe and multiple dimensions, and they all love us. Love itself right. is helping us. That's it. That's <laughs> it. By the way, I just wanted to say that, um, you know, originally I was only going to write a, a trilogy of books, and then I ended up writing a fourth book. And then I was told you're going to write seven books in total. So Whoa! I've actually, so what I'm doing now is I'm writing two prequel books to the series uh, um, wow. so that we go back and we, we, we learn where Tehran Soltar and Pendasala met in school. And, uh, we learn when Lucifer was an actual angelic and what, uh, and who, you know, what was his life and, and wow. uh, all of that. And what was his slow dissension into it? What actually caused him to go off uh, track off kilter? So book, the prequel book one is all done. I'm about a yes. hundred, 120 pages into prequel book two. So, um, have you told anybody this yeah. yet? Or is this the first no, announcement? This, of this is like you, you get the scoop. Yes, Midnight you Earth audience. Oh my god, not only is there four <laughs> books, there's going to be seven because I was going to ask you that yeah. because you know it did seem like book four was open ended towards the end of the book. I'm not yes. going to tell people about it, I'm yeah. just going to say it was open ended. And uh, yeah. I was hoping there's more coming. That sounds it amazing. Was. So, there is. So, there'll be the two prequel books, and then I'll write 
the seventh book, which will end it, right? Which will uh, be the technically the, the fifth seventh, book. The, the the technically the fifth book, but really the, the seventh. seventh book. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> it's kind of like Star Wars. That's amazing. No, it's exactly, fine. Lord of the Rings. exactly. I know. I know. So, well, Craig, what an incredible conversation we've had. Oh, I love talking with you. Obviously. We're star seeds here to activate yes. people. We're activating people all over the planet. Just this conversation. There's people hearing these words and it's, it's going into that same place, that cellular memory, that ethereal memory that's activating them. And what a planet we're going to have people. When we work on ourselves, we become that Christ, be the Jesus of your own life, activate the Christ consciousness, whatever that means for you. It doesn't even have to be religious, but that, that higher love, whatever that is, activate that within you. And then we have it. We win the grand prize. Like we were saying. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, before we go, Craig, is there anything else you'd like to talk about, about the books or anything else you'd like to leave our audience with? Well, I I will say, like I said, you know, all the books are, you know, that's book one, book two. Uh, and like I said, I had them all um, worked with an artist for all oh, of the beautiful. books. But I will tell you what I have been doing since, <laughs> since writing the prequels is those with those I'm working with a new artist. And when I finish with the seventh book, all of the artwork is going to be brand new. Wow. So you're going to yeah, go back uh, and redo everything. It's done. Oh, it's already done. It's already done. <laughs> so, so now I'm just working with uh, oh, my wonderful artist now as I go, in, you know, as I finish prequel book two, and then we'll whatever characters are in book seven. We'll finish that and then we'll set them up. I've also talked to um, uh, one publisher that I'm going to go with. Um, I'm, I'm going to have them uh, traditionally published either uh, through a publisher or I'll just put them on Amazon. But then I've talked to another publisher that can do it on a, as a sideline. And what uh, they specialize in is doing color pictures in hardcover books. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So that'll be super cool. Definitely something to look forward people. And yeah, look, I want people to get this book series and I want to tell you where to find it. Okay. The website that you can go to find out a lot of different things about this is autobiography of an, a N autobiography of an ET.com. So if you go to that website, you're going to learn about this book series and the other books that Craig has. And also if you go to stranger at the pentagon.com, which we talked about just very, very briefly, yeah, there's basically. a mini documentary about Val Thor and his visits to Congress. Absolutely amazing. And of course, Craig has other books besides the four book series, the UFO hotspot compendium, which I again, oh, yeah. highly recommend absolutely there amazing book. there that one is I, I think i've thought about it probably about 20 or 30 times every time oh, i think about donna. sedona i think about that book <laughs> <laughs> yes and the extraterrestrial species almanac the ultimate guide to grays reptilian hybrids and more that is available 
on Amazon, on his websites, and available actually anywhere Absolutely. where books yeah. are sold. You can find these things. Yeah. And if they buy them on my website, I'll, I personalize them and autograph them. Oh, um, wow. And, uh, and the book series is on the main page. The other books are in the tab, Other Books. And um, uh, they can buy, uh, you know, they could start with book one if they wanted to. Um, or if they want to get the full set, they could buy, you know, the full set and soft cover or hard cover with one click and I'll personalize and autograph all the books as well. Oh, that's uh, amazing. And would they uh, just have to email you or is there like a little message box? No, no, it's a, it's a thing. Uh, you know, if they, if they, if they're buying it for a friend, mm. I would just say, uh, email me through the website and say, Hey, I just bought, you know, four hard covers. Uh, they're not for me. They're a gift for my friend, Susan, you know, could you make it out to her? Right. Personalize okay. it to her. So, <laughs> I love autographs. Yeah. People love autograph books. I have a great autograph them. collection. I love autograph books. And, uh, you know, I was, I was at the Bodhi tree. Um, I, I would always sort of fly into there every once in a while and look and see what they had in the UFO, UFO section. And I didn't know that Betty Hill had just been there and did a talk oh, wow. and they had one book left on the shelf that was autographed by her. Ooh. So I nabbed it. And then of course she passed away not long after. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Wow. That's also yeah. a different energy. That's like a whole other podcast. Episode. Whole other podcast. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here, Craig. It's been absolutely amazing. Deeply appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. That was so much fun. Oh, it was amazing. Please hold through the outro music and everyone. Oh my God. What an incredible episode. Legendary midnight on earth episode. Check out this book series. Check out the other books. Check out the website. Check out everything Craig's about. It's absolutely astounding. It's mind blowing. Of course, we're going to have him back. So look forward <laughs> to that. And we will see you next week. Midnight on earth.